Next Chapter Podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Eligible, not too stupid, intelligible, and cute as cupid. Knowledgeable, but not always right, salvageable. Well, my heart's running round like a skeeper with a deeper Baba dee, baba and a beaver feeling my shoe. A chicken with its head cut off by Magnetic Fields from their 1999 album 69 Love Songs. It's also number 465 out of 500 on The 500 with Josh Adam Myers. What's up, everybody? It's me, the King of Fleece, reigning over my Fleece army. I love each and every one of you guys, man. I say this every week, but thank you for tuning in. Thank you for going through the Rolling Stone magazine list of the top 500 albums with me. Because we're doing this shit together, guys. All the way until May 31st, 2028. Thank you to all the people that are doing the Instagram stories. Keep doing it. Please take a screenshot of how you're listening to the 500 and tag me at Josh Adam Myers and put a hashtag the 500 podcast give me a 24 hour ad on your social media because we're getting the word out and you're helping today in music for july 3rd in 1971 singer songwriter and poet jim morrison of the doors was found dead in a bathtub in paris france i take a lot of baths so i completely completely would be all for dying in my bathtub because it just the soak You zone out on your penis going around and round, floating in the water like a majestic sea horse. You stare at that, all stress goes away. Now, I don't know if I want to die, but if I was going to choose, as long as it's not drowning, I would take it. The cause of death was given as a heart attack. He co-wrote some of the group's biggest hits, including Light My Fire, Love Me Two Times, and Love Her Madly. And on the 25th anniversary of his death, an estimated 15,000 fans gathered at Père Lachaise Cemetery in Paris, France to pay their respects. I have been to Jim Morrison's grave, and if you walk into that cemetery, people have written on all the other tombstones, this way to Jim. It is insane, the level of disrespect that these other French motherfuckers, they ain't getting shit. They're just there for this American Jimmy dude. Did anybody ever call him Jimmy? Little Jimmy Morrison. They probably did, but... But yeah, so on today, he died. Isn't that crazy? I guess that's a real morbid way to start the episode. But fuck it. All right. 
a little bit about this record because this was a big one, guys. This was officially a the one of the longest ones we've done. So let's find out a little bit about it, okay? Released on September 7th, 1999, 69 Love Songs is a concept album collection and six studio release conceived, written, and mostly sung and played by multi-instrumentalist Stephen Merritt with his band The Magnetic Fields. The three-CD album literally contains 69 mostly short songs of almost every style of music possible. One umbrella genre given to them all was Tweecore, but Merritt likes to think of the record as a variety show. Despite its title, Stephen Merritt has said 69 Love Songs is not remotely an album about love. It's an album about love songs, which are very far away from anything to do with love. There are a lot of musical and vocal contributors on this album, but the Magnetic Field's core band is Sam Duvall on flute and cello, John Woo on banjo and guitar, not John Woo, the director of Face Off. Just so everybody is clear on that. It's not that John Woo. It's banjo and guitar player John Woo. Shirley Sims on auto harp, ukulele and vocals, and Claudia Gonson, who sings and plays piano, drums, and percussion, and is the band's manager. Shirley and Claudia, as well as Dudley Clute and LD, Beg Toll sing six songs each on this collection. Now, obviously, we are not going to be going through all 69 songs, so what we did was we picked about nine from the album. This album was great. Like, I, I remember putting it on and being like, fuck this. And then being like, a few weeks later, being like, wow. And I found a guest that is a fan of the Magnetic Fields. I threw it out there into the universe. Help me find somebody that loves this band. And I did. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest this week is my very good friend, Tony Sam. You know him from his podcast, Legally Insane, and his album, Scaredy Cat, which is hilarious. Go out and get it. And listen to the podcast as well. Tony is a huge fan of this band. I had such a good time talking about this record with Tony. Don't forget to listen to the end of the podcast where we're going to spotlight a new artist that was directly influenced by the magnetic fields. Also, rate, review, and go ahead and subscribe to the 500. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media and email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. And for all things, five honey go to our website, the500podcast.com. Welp, guys, nothing left to do with say, here we go, with number 465 out of 500 with 69 love songs by the Magnetic Fields. Papa was a rodeo, Mama was a rock and roll band. I could play guitar Cause a Tony Sam and I'm coming like a Tony Sam Dude, dude And a Tony Sam and I'm Tony Sam Sam Tony Sam, Tony Sam, Tony Sam, Tony Sam, Tony Sam Tony Sam, Tony, Tony, Tony Sam
Uh, Did you I, just write that? I just wrote Holy. it. <laughs> what do you? Well, I was like, I what mean, do I? I was like, I'm, I think I should join him. I mean, this is weird if I just look at him while he makes eye contact with me and sings to me. You know, it's so funny. You just made me realize that I've got like Wanda Sykes sitting there, and I'm like, ooh, Wanda Sykes, Wanda Sykes, like I'm singing September for her. And, and what is she doing when staring? This what? That's crazy. Like a murder, yeah. No. That's why I was like, I should do something because I've got to break the tension. <laughs> Our eyes were locked. You don't understand. All right, but no, but but by 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 doing that and having you join in immediately and knowing exactly what song I was doing means that you are a fan of this record, the Magnetic Fields. How did you first become aware of this band and uh, and uh, specifically the album? Well, it was a former lover. Ooh. Uh, my first wife, who is actually also a comedian, I'm not going to say her name, but uh, she had amazing taste in music. And, well, bands was she rocking like? Uh, well, she loved, you know, Bowie and, you know, just she just had s- style and good taste. How did you get them. her? Man, I just, <laughs> I don't fucking know because I... I, at the time, when we first met, I was just getting into improv. She was in improv. And I was, like, still combing my hair straight back and using L.A. style, like, handfuls of gel, just <laughs> shaving my fucking hair. 90% of the Paul Mitchell being bought in the world was, <laughs> that's was right. going to but the that's corner me. of Yucca and Argyle. Because I have, as you know, very curly hair. and, and Curly cues. And I didn't know that because from childhood, my dad was like, boy, you got a lot of cowlicks. And I was like, okay. <laughs> he just called him. Yeah, he just called him cowlicks whenever I go get my hair cut because I generally kept it short. They're like, well, you got an awful lot of cowlicks. They're like, no, that's just your curly hair, you idiot. Uh, so she saw potential in me. That's what I like to think is that she's like, I've got this this raw mold of clay and I'm going to shape it into this hipster doofus. So she bought me a whole new wardrobe and... She made. She started just say, "Let's just let your hair go curly and whatever and this and that," and I was like, "Okay." And here I am. I am what she made me today. <laughs> but uh, she introduced me. How dull me. were you prior to this, though? I, I wasn't dull. Like I was. I just. I came from the suburbs of Chicago, and you know everybody just. You fucking you you wore what your parents gave you. So I was like, well, I just got all these pants that you know that don't. <laughs> fit me necessarily well and oh mom thanks another pair oh wow another extra large t-shirt wow a boxy extra large t-shirt how did you know i love pacific sunwear (laughs) uh massimo yeah i had a lot i had an off massimo and i were tight so back to your girlfriend like so what what were you listening to prior to her introducing you god i'm almost embarrassed i feel like (laughs) i Hey now, you're an all-star. No, no, no Smash Mouth. I loved Smashing Pumpkins. Smashing Pumpkins was my thing. What is wrong with that? Well, a lot of people think he's wine screaming. Yeah, I mean, he is. He is. I appreciate Smashing Pumpkins because that's the era of the music that I grew up with. But this, Yeah, well, I tried to get her to like it. Uh, She couldn't. We danced at our wedding uh, to one of... My favorite Smashing Pumpkin songs from the album is Disarm. Adore. Oh, no, no, it's no. Adore. Uh, and I can't listen to that album anymore. Aww. Uh, it's hard for me actually to listen to a lot of music because for me, I've always just 
music is tied to emotion for me for a for lot sure. of things. So uh, that particular album, it just makes me think of that time period in my life. And I'm just like, Ugh, it was great, but also it's sad that it ended. I'm yeah. a sensitive boy. No, I know. And I, <laughs> I mean, you, you were obsessed with Smashing Pumpkins. You didn't have to say that to the audience. They knew. Right. Uh, they I just get knew. Billy Corrigan. I mean, I mean, you can say what you want. I mean, he's fucking nuts. I think he's crazy. Uh, he's got all these conspiracy theories, but I think what a brilliant songwriter. Brilliant. brilliant. I mean, uh, Smashing, uh, listen, I'm not going to shit on Smashing Pumpkins. Gish was incredible. Yeah. Siamese Dream was incredible. Melancholy and the Infinite Siamese Sadness. Dream is like high school for me. Yeah, that, that's, that, that was, defines high school. Today, today, and Cherub Rock, um, and Disarm. Yeah. Uh, and Soma. Oh, Soma. Oh, what a dude. great song. I still, I still love Soma now. So, all right, so Smashing Pumpkins, and then you meet this girl, and she says, here's Bowie, and here is the Magnetic And I was Fields. like, wow, I didn't know any of this music. Like, like my brother, and, and, you know, he listened to Ario Speedwagon, and which, again, like, whatever you could say. I like Boston. I like Bad Company. Uh, it's just because I had older brothers and sisters. They liked all this Everybody, rock. 90% of the guests that have come on here have all said that they got their music from their older brother or from somebody else, one of their friends, hip older brother. Yeah, well, I don't know if my brother, I'm not going to ever say that about him, but my sister, you know, she was into U2 and, you know, we can't say his name anymore, but she liked MJ and, and uh, she was probably a big Rod Stewart fan. So <laughs> she would make me these mixtapes and I had lots of Billy Joel and... You're, you're uh, speaking my language, bro. I was like, yeah, that's... The, uh, uh, what's it, Clarence Trent Darby? So she made this crazy mixtape for me. But he was supposed to. He said he would be bigger than the Beatles. Clarence Trent Darby. Oh boy, I remember that. Well, he was right. <laughs> Clearly, he was right. He's six foot five, and all the rest of the Beatles. Right, he was taller. He was definitely taller. He was taller. He gained a lot of weight. So she knew the music I like. She's like, well, I've got, I've got something for you. So the, the the album she introduced me to, it was I. So that one had just come out uh, in the early 2000s. And so Stephen Merritt, the lead singer, he generally has a theme for all the albums. And this one was every song starts with the letter I. <laughs> that oh. was the idea. And so many of them are just words, but then some include like, or, or it's like, uh, it's not the letter I, but it's I Y E, which is I. So that I believe counts, but, uh, the album's amazing. And I was like, wow, this, this guy's voice is ridiculous because it's so monotone and deep. It's like, I love to sing. It's, it's almost like a Muppet character. Very Muppety. Nice, nice, uh, Adjective, it's not even a word, Muppety. Right, it's almost like the, the eagle from the Muppets. So it's like, you are all weird. It's if he put out an album, <laughs> right? And he started singing with a ukulele. And so uh, all the songs on there, just, he he's he's not only a great lyricist, he, like, the harmonies and the melodies, yeah. just, they're catchy tunes. And he's so prolific. Like, this guy, when he writes an album, like, 69 love songs, he sat down and wrote sixty nine songs. He, he didn't write all of them, but you know, so he had some help. But most. He, dude, he had his hand in almost every single one of them. Yeah, like his latest album is fifty songs. It's, it, he he put it out to celebrate his fiftieth birthday. So he started writing Genius. on his fiftieth birthday. Genius. And every year represents a different moment in his life and a different song. And 
and it's really good. Be like childbirth, I was born <laughs> out of the womb, coming through the tunnel of life. Into- <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, I'm still shitting my pants. <laughs> I'm a three-year-old boy. Mama pooped on my pants. <laughs> I came out. Well, I got my first erection. <laughs> oh, it pointed in a direction. I say, what is my selection? I'm singing. Uh, I'm singing that. That. Come on, feel, feel the, the noise. noise, right? I thought you were going like his would be more like. Doctor pulled me from the room by my little dong, <laughs> and I liked it. Um, all right, so then specific, so you immediately, so I so love you, that so album. That one, yeah. And then I, I was like, well, I want to hear more of their stuff. And so I knew that that album was preceded by 69 love songs. And I was like, holy shit, this is really great. And if you listen to this album, you see that it's not like grouped in any particular way. You see, there's lots of happy go lucky songs and there's some really kind of bummer downer sad songs, but it to me reflects the course of life and how relationships are great and then they're terrible and then it's great again and then oh shit it's bad again and uh love is ridiculous that's why this this album you know it's 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 crazy to me because we we just kind of go through the motions and we don't really sometimes think about why love love is for guys a lot of times i think it's like oh i don't want to talk about that but you know, when you think about it, it's like, oh, yeah, I totally act like that all the time. And sure. this guy, he put those emotions to words. And I feel <clears throat> like like some of these songs kind of speak to me in, in the moments. Like this particular album, I generally listen to after a breakup. So when I split up with my first wife, uh, first wife. How many do you have now? I've had two. But uh, that one's gone, too. <laughs> <laughs> But the second wife hated Magnetic Fields because she hated his voice. She was a musical theater major, and she could not stand his voice. She'd always make fun of it. She'd be like, this guy can't sing to save his life. And I was like, really? Because he sounds like he can carry a tune to me. But his writing is is all from show tunes. Like, he, especially this record, you know, he, he I mean... I know that he was inspired by Steven Sodheim. Um, right. And he was like, I want to write 69 songs. In He wanted to write a play right. or a musical, but then he was like, you know what? I'm going to write 100 songs. He goes, no, fuck that. I'm going to write 69 because <clears throat> 100 is a lot. And you can hear it. And I think like on all these different levels, the, the album works. And that's why it's on this this list, I think, because, you know, while the Magnetic Fields aren't probably a household name. Never heard of them before this. I honestly thought they were a band from the 60s. <laughs> I thought 69 Love Songs was like, oh, this is made in 1969. I swear to God, that's what I thought. That's funny. I I try to talk to people about it, but generally no one I know uh, has heard of them. Yeah. So All right. So our album is number 465 out of 500. It's the sixth album, 69 Love Songs by Magnetic Fields. Now, it wasn't released in 1969. It was released on September 7th, 1999, 30 years later, completely produced 100% by Stephen Merritt, the deep-voiced dude 
that you hear throughout this record. Um, now we are, there are 69 songs on this. And like I said, in the intro, we are not going to go through every song. Aww. That would be, I know we'd be, this would be a very, very Aww. long podcast. So we are going to jump into the ones that I think <clears throat> I enjoyed the most. And also I think are probably some of the most popular ones. Now I did leave some in here that are stuff that I really didn't like. Uh, there's a couple in these nine. So let's dive in. So it opens with absolutely cuckoo. cuckoo. Now, my first reaction wasn't good when I first played this. That was when I was oh, like, Oh, that's one of my favorites. I'm driving home. I love that. I, I'm driving home and I'm like, Well, I should start listening to this. It's 69 songs. And and I was like, Fuck, dude, this is some shitty band from the 60s. Like, <laughs> I'm expecting it's going to be like incense, peppermint, little time. <laughs> But it, but it, but it, so the first time I like I heard it I didn't listen to it. it took a bunch of listens for this to click, uh, and then it hit me that this is just a beautiful nice love ditty on the ukulele. Peter, do me a favor, play the intro. Don't fall in love with me. We only recently met you. I'm in love with you, but you might decide I'm not. Give me a week or two to go absolutely cuckoo. Then when you see your error, then you can flee in terror. I love that it's just him on the ukulele, but there's these really cool synth hits that accent the song throughout. Yeah. Now, this is the first song on the album. In about one and a half minutes, this waltzy and lyrically claustrophobic number introduces both the heartbreaking depth and humorous self-deprecation of what's to come. So in a sense, he's just setting up the whole record yeah. you know, of what you're about to get in the next <clears throat> 68 songs. Steven sings two intertwining parts on the song. And according to the record's accompanying booklet, Merritt says the character being cuckoo could be multiple personalities. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. That's funny. Isn't that cool? Uh... Yeah, the way I look at that song is that it's just, you know, when you say self-deprecating, I think, of course, as a comedian and a, just a person who does that, I you 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 knock yourself down because then you're like, hey, I I'm not perfect, and you know, I I have flaws, and and take a look at me, uh, I'm exposing my weaknesses to you, and and this this. This particular song, though, is like he's acknowledging that he's kind of a wackadoo. And I guess I never thought of it as multiple personalities. I think of it as this guy just or or person, this character. I won't say guy, but 
just knows that they're a real fucking hot mess and that they once they sink their hands into you good luck but i don't i don't you feel that you know as you've gotten older you're a little bit more you know like i i feel like i'm able to say i here's this is the crazy that's in me i know the crazy that's in me and i so i can identify when i'm wrong or when i made a mistake or when i'm right because i know i'm like this i'm crazy but that's I'm I'm even holding back the crazy. Yeah, I guess <laughs> I acknowledge it, but I don't know that I want to fix it. I think I I my my current girlfriend, she she knows I look, I know I'm a lot to handle. But I think if we have an understanding that she's like I know I'm a lot to handle, you know I'm a lot to handle. Let's find that middle ground. Like, you know, I know I should say and do things, but I don't. Because that's me. And I think that's why love is complicated. Because sure. you're like, look, this is who I am. I mean, people try like to change. And you're like, well, you can change if you want to. It's like, I don't know. I try. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just me. I can't I can't be anyone but me. And and that's because you have this lifetime, like the older we get, like because we're you know, we're no spring chickens, but the older we get, we your this your life is a culmination of all your experiences and you can't just forget about all those years of your life no but you can look at them differently you can look at them and not that's as such true. tragic that that's been a big you know i talk about it a lot on here that's been one of the best things that i've ever done which is like look at the past as a learning experience instead of like i was a shitty person back then like it's like that just helped me get to being a good person now mm. You know what I mean? But let's let's take it to this. What's the most insane thing you've ever done in or after a relationship? Oh boy. Uh <laughs> <laughs> insane. Uh well, after well, I you you want me to set myself up? Please. Uh after my second divorce, that one was pretty tough. Uh like How long ago was this? Jeez, it was like seven years ago. Now. Okay, so time has passed, but uh, it was it was weird, you know. Like I think that there was a lot of vindictive things going back and forth, and uh, I may have taken a pair of scissors to someone's purse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and people have done so much worse. Yeah, and but, I, and I mean, but and that what was a probably crazy... out of rage. But that was you were probably so enraged. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what had set that off, but uh, like I had bought that purse for her on our trip to Italy, and I just was like, "Oh yeah, you want it? I'll give it to you. Chop, chop, chop!" <laughs> like as you're chopping, I was just like. Uh, <laughs> we'll see who's laughing but that's what that's love, love that, does that, that to you because like dude. the moment i did it i was like oh god why did i do that what a terrible awful thing to do but and and guys are totally guilty of always calling their exes crazy that's like our default thing because you know i think women do tend to be more emotional but it's because of things we did to drive them to that so they're not crazy we're just terrible generally and so but in this case something had happened and i destroyed personal property and i don't feel good about it 
the craziest you are is at the beginning and the end of a relationship. Because you're crazy in love at the beginning, right. and you'll just forget about everything. So, so she could be like, you know, she could be like, I'm a Holocaust denier, and you're like, I love you, <laughs> right? Even more. All right, that goes into uh, track number four. We're going to talk about a chicken with its head cut off. Now, uh, this is my favorite song on the record. I like this. This song, a lot. song is so fucking catchy. I think it's. Uh, after listening to the full album, I think this was the best use of the medium of love with the music and his voice. Uh, I love the chorus so much. Peter, do me a favor. Play the chorus. My heart turning around like a chicken with its head cut off. All around the barnyard falling in and The way he sings this gives me chills. Now, this is a light country song, and according to Merritt in the 69 Love Songs booklet, there's not that many cliches left to be used as titles of country songs. So I was jokingly scraping the bottom of the barrel. First four lines read like a humorously self-deprecating post on dating site. Eligible, not too stupid, intelligible, (laughs) and cute as Cupid. Knowledgeable, but not always right. Salvageable and free for the night. It sounds like he he just wants to hook up, especially by the bridge, which says, we don't have to be stars exploding in the night or right, electric the eels. eels under the, the covers. covers. We don't have to be anything quite so unreal. Let's just be, be lovers. lovers. That basically says, this doesn't have to be a magical experience or anything. It can just be two people enjoying each other. You were a biologist before <laughs> you were a professional comedian. In your expert opinion, are humans meant to be monogamous or shall we all just be enjoying each other? (laughs) Uh, Oh, God. Polyamory is the way. Um, You know, I think everybody's I think people aren't as specific as, you know, species lower than us. Some of them do mate for life and that's just hardwired into them. You don't see any deviation from that. But people are unique and different, and we're all wired differently. And I think that some people can do that. But in my experience, and uh, this is not to crucify myself, but the most interesting people I have met are the ones who, you know, you can love one person, but you still are able to have feelings for others. Sure. And I think that a lot of people don't admit that, and then they they they've almost created this this self imposed prison around them, and they are resentful and hateful. And I, as I get older, I come to terms with. I go, you know, I choose to be in a relation, a committed relationship, but I acknowledge that I will always be attracted to other people, and that I don't know the benefit of of being with someone else will will destroy this thing you know like is it worth leaving this this beautiful thing that i have for this person that i am on a uh uh i guess primal level attracted to so i i think that it is unique to the person but it is all it is sometimes i think it's a choice that you could just do whatever you want and who cares who's hurt or one time a cheater always a cheater Right. You cheat once, you'll cheat again. I've never cheated. Um, and I think that's also what, what scares me about being in a relationship uh, because the two times I've been in long-term relationships, I've 
the sex got boring. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, yeah, you, you, I got a beautiful girl, mm. beautiful girl that is literally like legs spread. Like, why aren't, why don't you fuck me more? And I'm just like, because I just, I know when you poop now. I know your poop schedule, and it turned me off. You know, it's difficult. It was it the poop schedule? That's it's what, a, amongst that uh, many, many things, but that's like the first thing that I'm like, you see something that's just questions like the the her sexiness, like you, you know what I mean, or whatever it is. Getting it comfortable be- with someone is the major reason why everything fails is because the magic's gone, and you you just take each other for granted. Like, you're another chair here. But like that's that's why it is because you just expel this person. She'll be home. She'll be home in five, in twenty minutes, like she always is every day. And routine is what is I think the major killer, to me. It seems like if you're always doing something different and keeping it alive, that that's you know I've been in a few successful long term relationships and. Uh, I think I was most unhappiest when I was single and I was just, you know, I can recall one week where there was probably like four different people that I had been with, but that didn't make me happy. I felt miserable that whole time because I was like, well, none of this means anything. But then when you find, for me personally, that when you find that one person, you're like, oh, wow, well, how can I keep making this new and exciting? And I think that's what, the secret have you cheated before no no you never cheated no i was trying to think back in in my youth but no i i i generally thought it was more respectful to if i had feelings for other people and then i broke it off it's like look i don't think this is working and then you pursue that like if you meet someone and you make an emotional connection and you realize oh shit I like this person and then you break things off first. I think that's more respectful for sure. But a lot of people don't do that because they don't want to be alone. You know what I mean? They, they don't know if this other one's going to work out. And so they just, right. Well, you've got a safety ju- net. Yeah, exactly. It's a safety net. I'm finally okay with being alone. I'm lonely right now. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I mean, for I, I want to have sex. I want to, I wish I had a girl that I could just, cause I don't have anything. And I'm not saying I'm not, I could, if I go out and try, I could find it, but it's like, I just, this is probably the most, I have no prospects, no seeds are planted, you know? You're probably getting a lot done. Oh, well, you, know, I mean, <laughs> I, I, you feel, hear how in depth I am about a magnetic field record? That's right. <laughs> what the fuck, dude? Uh, no, the times in my life when I accomplished the most is when I was alone, uh, because, but it's the, you take the good with the bad, right? A relationship. Sure. You you want to be in it, but you're also you're like, oh well, I could be doing these things, but I'm I'm enjoying being with this person, yeah. so I guess it's okay. Uh, I've been cheated on, and I think it's the worst feeling in Horrible the world. Feeling, yeah. Because this betrayal and and this this denial and this loss, and you still have these weird feelings for this person, but you're like. Oh God, they destroyed me. Why would I want to be with this person? So, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting that people have different views. Like some people just can't be with one person. And I, and I, and I see why, you know, like we live in a society where we want instant happiness and, 
and we're just going living in the moment this whole living in the moment and the the yolo hashtag shit it's that people just care about themselves and and i think it's kind of selfish a little bit to want to just keep jumping around and not finding a meaningful connection i completely agree completely agree all right let's go into i don't want to get over you it's track six and i love this upbeat little ditty now when the first when the song first started i thought this was going to be like a john mellencamp song but then that weird synthesizer or guitar effect kicked in and lyrically, it's about holding on to the pain of a breakup when that's all that's left of the relationship. It's intellectualizing remedies for the grief while not wanting to let go of the hope of love the ex represented. I, you were talking about his lyrics earlier. This, this is, I don't know, man. I, I, this is the one that stuck out to me so much where he says, I could listen to all my friends and go out again and pretend it's enough or I can make a career of being blue favorite line is right here i could dress in black and read camus (laughs) smoke clove cigarettes and drink vermouth i love that giving a fucking giving an existential he's a french philosopher out you know camus i love that i love when there's something and i catch something that's intellectual because that happens never because of my dumb dumb that's a great lyric uh you know i think a lot of times when a relationship explodes in your face People choose to, they're like, I want to be sad for a living. I wish this paid money because I would I would be sad for a few weeks if it paid. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, what is you mean, being... You need me to lay in my, in my comfy clothes like, on uh, my couch? Go to go to work in bed. Well, this is ultimately about letting go. What are you, uh, of what are you unwilling or incapable of letting go? Like being wrong? Is that that's you can't give that let go of that? I generally don't like to be wrong. Uh, I don't know what it is. If it's just because I like to read and know about things, and or I'm just so you stubborn. Think you think you're just intellectually superior than most well, people? Well, no, I try to. It's like in a relationship argument. Uh, I I just can't let go. I I. I know, and, and I, and I'm not even sure that I'm right. I just, I want to be right, and then I'll apologize later. But I just can't sometimes not let go of being right all the time. What's the biggest thing you? Have you got what's the? What, what, where looking back now, when were you wrong? You were wrong, but you fucking fought, excuse me fought it out. Oh boy, that's a good one. Thanks, man. Well, one of the things that. I kept saying up and down is like, as we were we were moving out of our apartment, we were getting a home. We purchased a home, which is something I never thought I'd be able to do in L.A. But we congrats figured it out. And uh, Boyle Heights, I mean, <laughs> L.A. I mean, it's L.A. You're, you're not in Bel Air. It's L.A. <laughs> it's it's a coming up neighborhood. Oh boy, we've got a restaurant. <laughs> um. Well, I was afraid. I. I didn't want to do it, and I just thought that it would, you know, I thought it would be this colossal ordeal that, you know, would be a mistake, like it's a big commitment, and, you know, we're not married, but we are house married, and I just, I kept saying, I kept pushing back, I was looking for things that were wrong with everything, and the houses, because I 
was afraid to do it. And I just kept saying this, the house that we ended up getting, I was just looking for a reason for it not to work. And I, and I kept arguing, saying, this is going to be a disaster. We're going to regret this. And I think it's going to be so much of a headache and so much work. And she just kept assuring me that it wouldn't. And I was like, I'm going to tell you so. You'll, <laughs> you'll, you'll see. see. You'll see. Famous and then last we, words. And then say. we did it, and it wasn't bad. Uh, it, it's, it's, look, there's a lot of responsibility, but, I mean, it's pretty cool. And she was right. Like, for all the, the things that may have happened that, you know, we've had a couple of things we've had to fix, but it, it wasn't the end of the world. And we've made it work for a year and a half now there. And I think that. I just need to chill the fuck out sometimes. (laughs) All right, fun little fact about the song. Steven is quoted saying, this song would never have been written if I'd had a smartphone at the time. I would have Googled the title, seen that Waylon Jennings had already used it, and never written the song. Oh, shit. That's really cool. Yeah, so thank God. All right. Let's pretend we're bunny rabbits. Track nine. Uh, You you mentioned that you enjoy this. Thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, it's just about, it's like, let's just... Fuck all the time. Yeah, dude. That's really a I mean, song about fucking. I know. And now this, that's like he said, this is what I love about this album. Every song is almost just a different genre. And I don't know what you would, this is called, maybe synth pop with British yeah. and, a, and a 1950s doo-wop vibe. Uh, Peter, play the chorus. Over just a drum machine and lo-fi synths, Merritt sings about enticing an absent lover into wild animal desires. Animal uh, sex. And he, and he just says it. It's he, he takes it and he says, you know, let's do it the cute way. <laughs> Painfully cute bunny rabbits. Just, just fucking well, like. Well, bunny rabbits. They fuck a lot. I know. That's a lot of hip thrusts. Like fast and hard. Yeah. It's not cute. They're cute. They're cute. But the sex act, it's violent. Yeah. <laughs> uh that's it's it's got that kind of wall of sound to it yeah it's definitely uh, phil specter i i mean that's what i'm saying the that it's the, i want i didn't want to call it doo-wop but you could take this song and this i think is like the ronettes the ronettes could sing this song do you know what i mean like uh diana ross like the early 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 stuff you know, it's yeah, I would got, love to hear that. It's got this. It's just got this 1950s like soul vibe. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians or creatives from Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal, the man to Fat Mike from No Effects and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat. We go all over the map from Fallout Boy to Slayer. Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and -and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, 
And I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. Uh, the mention of putting on bunny suits is apparently homage to the artist Naylan Blake, who uses bunny suit imagery to represent the perceived stereotype of male homosexual promiscuity. What is your sexual spirit animal and why? Uh, well, you know, <laughs> some people are like dynamos in the sack and I generally, this, and this does I don't know if this makes me desirable, but I, as I've gotten older, I, I kind of want to just get through it. <laughs> I get so tired. I just, I know I like sex. I know I want to have sex, but like, just, just I want to I want to cuddle and lay there and rest. It's it's physically it's tiring. It is. It's a lot. It's sex. You know? It's I mean, a lot. A lot of hip thrusting. It's I a mean, lot of you got to like pivot. You know, pivot? you got to you got to like bury your feet down. That's right. You have to find that perfect. You have to l- link legs like pretzels and uh just get that perfect leverage going on i've actually uh, never had sex so you're, <laughs> you're like it. holy wow <laughs> we got a pretzel on go on <laughs> dipping sauce oh yes uh geez i guess so what would you say you're you, you're you just want to be a bear you're a bear really bears i mean no they're slower you know what I mean? More slow lumbering, slow lumbering, <laughs> <You>. clumsy, <laughs> uh, sloppy. Uh, like a, it's like I, I'm like a bear going through a dumpster. Okay, yeah, <laughs> no, finding, no. finding treats. I get it. No. Yeah, a bear at a campground dumpster. <laughs> that's oh, what is that's that? why it's like just tearing through. At least I find like a two liter, a half drunk two liter bottle. It's I just what the fuck is Shobani? <laughs> I'm gonna eat it. Oh, half eaten corn in the cob. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Uh, rotten hot dogs. All right. Next one is probably the biggest hit from the album, The Book of Love. Uh, just lovely. Steven and his guitar. Uh, play the intro, Peter. The Book of Love is long and boring. No one can lift the damn thing. What I found was that he's basically saying that love is not something that should be examined academically and pulled apart, but rather treated as the magic that it is. That's mm-hmm. what I got from this. Now, what's the most magical experience or moment you've had in love? Uh, well, I look back and it was probably in my mid twenties and it was, I won't say who it was with, but this particular person, I lived in Chicago and I had an apartment that had a, uh, a rooftop that you could get up on top of. And it st- stared at downtown. And I was like, hey, uh, we should take, I got all these blankets. We'll take this pillow, these pillows, and we'll just, we'll make this bed up on the rooftop. And we just sat out there all night and then we slept on the rooftop 
and pretty sure we made love on the rooftop. And when we in the morning, the dawn was coming up to see the sun rise behind downtown and just look over and like, I'm on the rooftop with this person. And it just was this moment that was out of a movie. And I think about that in my head a lot because it's like, you know, what a storybook thing, like these two 20 year olds are in love and on a rooftop. And, uh, it just was so picturesque and, and just cinematic that it's one of those things that I still think about. Oh, I, I, dude, I, you were talking earlier about, you know, music takes you back. Like I, one of my favorite memories was there was a girl I met at this rave and we had, we had, you know, she came to my house one weekend and, you know, and we just stayed in the basement and fucked and it was just great. And like, I'm 19 years old. And then the next weekend was her birthday. And like, we had this whole week weekend planned and we, we partied at the rave all night and danced by took ecstasy and drugs. And then, uh, we get in her car and she's driving back to where my parents live because that's where I was living at the time. And that's where we were going to stay. And it's like it's dawn. It's always got to be dawn. Yeah. The sun's coming up and Radiohead's Let Down is playing in the background. And we're going, we're on the GW Parkway. So we're like literally on the water, on the Potomac. And there's Washington, D.C. And it's, I mean, the monuments and just hearing Let Down and like holding her hand and looking at her. I mean, that was like... Like Lisa Lichtenstein, if you can find this girl, <laughs> I've I have looked and looked and looked. She was so great, uh, you know. And then we probably broke up like a week later. I mean, but it was like such a beautiful moment. Yeah, and I hear let down, and I immediately feel that. And this song is, you know, that's you know, it's all you were talking about how that seems like a movie. You know, this song is also not just you know a perfect song about love, but it's a perfect song for a movie. Peter Gabriel was so impressed with this that he chose to record it. it. He covered it on his 2010 orchestral covers album, Scratch My Back, and it was also featured in the 2004 film Shall We Dance amongst numerous television shows. All right, where are we? When My Boy Walks Down the Street. Um, Do you want to have any thoughts? Uh, Yeah, there's there's, uh, a really great line in this that... Uh, I really like it's maybe he should be illegal. He just makes life too complete. I just like the fact that you think someone's so perfect that they're so great that they can't possibly be real or exist. And I just, I like that. I just like that line a lot. Uh, I mean, this whole song is basically about, uh, thinking it seems like an infatuation from afar you really like this person they don't even know yet that you like you've you've worked out in your mind that oh god i'm gonna totally marry this dude and i like that this is 1999 he's talking about marriage with this 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 young hot boy yeah uh so it's prophetic sure um now excluding anything to do with the meaning of the song as far as the the musical sound of the song i didn't really like it um, it was kind of repetitive, but it was also, but it also had a little catchiness to it. It's and simple. it's weird as I write these reviews, I write them and then I make a couple more passes and then I'm like, fuck man, I actually like this. I did like it when the music drops out. I like the bridge. It's just, yeah, it's just Steven's voice and the synths. Uh, this reverb drenched tribute to sixties girl group, the Shangri-Las was also influenced by the music of the eighties Scottish band, 
Jesus and Mary Chain, as well as 80s Los Angeles Paisley underground band, The Three O'Clock. And just like classic songs by those 60 girl groups that this objectifies the subject with a wide-eyed teenage perspective of love. The difference is that this song is from a gay man to his passive object of desire. And where those girl groups used to innocently sing about getting married because they couldn't sing about having sex, the same thing happens here. In the record's booklet, when asked if the line, and he's going to be my wife, was a gay marriage statement, Stephen Merritt said, well, I suppose it is. So he is ahead of his time. Mm -hmm. Um, When do you think you lost your innocence? (laughs) Good one, what Marty. a transition. I know. Well, no, there's, it's, Anyways, <laughs> when do you think you lost your innocence, assuming that I have? Uh, well, I guess I I think... And it doesn't have to be sexual. No, like no, be... I get it. I I think it's probably when you experience your, your first heartbreak, your first major heartbreak is, if, if we're talking about love and innocence, I feel like when you first are in relationships, you, you think that this is, this is never going to end. This is perfect. This is forever. And then it just blows up in your face and you're like, Oh, well, life is garbage. Right. So I think the first major breakup I had, I, I, I kind of realized at first I, I was going to marry this girl in college. I would, she was my high school sweetheart and we stayed together through college. And, and I was like, well, I have to get married to this person. And I was like, wait a minute. No, I don't. I don't have to do this. This is what life or society has told me what to do. And I guess they don't have to be with this person. And so that one, I don't think that didn't change my perspective because I was the breaker upper. But when my marriage, my first marriage fell apart, it wasn't on my terms and I think that's when I started to question whether or not marriage was for me. And if, you know, you're supposed to love one person your whole life. But uh, I think a loss of innocence could be applied to many things. Many, many things. Yeah. So I guess in my head, I'm trying to, to I guess, get on board with what the idea of innocence is like. You know, I was it when I was in a in a a utility storage room off of the building that we lived on top of with this girl, like just making out by the lawnmowers. Like, did I lose my innocence then? Was was I becoming a young man because I had boners when I woke up all the time, or is it like when I lost my virginity? Is that your loss of innocence when you lose your virginity? Because I. I didn't have conventional sex my first time. I actually, I dated this girl. She was Polish from Chicago, Catholic, who thought vaginal sex was a sin. So the first time we had sex, I, I stuck it in her, ba- in in, her, in her ass. ass. Wow. So that's my first experience <laughs> like, with it. I was like, holy like, smoke, this is real tight. Your dick feels like warm pierogi. <laughs> <laughs> Like Klotchki. <laughs> Just, uh, Klotchki worry. in I'm, my dupa. I'm on my period, so there'll be borscht everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Tiny bouja. I, I, I literally was just at a Polish restaurant in New York City. So uh, a smorgasbord? Uh, I'm going to. Uh, the give, old war song? Give me some beef. Give me your beef stroganoff. That's what we called that sex move, too, the old war song. 
So you you had your first sexual experience, like yeah, I stuck it right in her pooper, and I mean, was it great? Well, I remember what an ordeal it was because how do like, you? I was seventeen. Okay, good age. And uh, my family, no one was home, and so that'd be weird if they were. It's like, like, it's like they're down, <laughs> your mom's downstairs crafting. Like, Keep it down, <laughs> and you're just like. <laughs> Papa, it's going in her butt. <laughs> uh, so no one was home. I, I just I made sure I locked all the, locked all the doors and windows, and and I just wanted to make sure nothing would interrupt this. And so we we did it. And I was like, well, hey, this this sex stuff is pretty good. I don't know if this is how it always is, because <laughs> I never did it. So uh, my brother came home like in the middle of it, and he's pounding on the door because I locked it and. In a way, the deadbolt, he didn't have a key. The and front door, not the bedroom door, right? Right. The okay, front good, door yeah. of the house. He's like, what the hell? Let me in the goddamn house. And I was like almost finishing and I had to see it through. Yeah, of course. And so afterwards, she runs in the bathroom and I and I hear all the noises coming out of there because of, you know, the nature of the side effects of, of certain sex acts. And uh, so I'm running to clean, clean myself up, pull my pants on. And go run and get the front door. And my brother's like, what the fuck? What are you doing in here? And I go, nothing. B's here. Her name was B. Beata. Uh, I won't say her full name, but uh, we don't talk anymore. <laughs> no. So it's okay. Uh, but he's like, oh. He knew? I see. Because she's like coming out of the bathroom. And we're the only two home. He's like, cool. Okay. And that was all we talked about. Like, you smell like butt-dussy, you, by the It way. smells like a butthole. <laughs> it smells like a butt-dussy up in here. Butthole and pussy. Uh, and so a few times afterwards, because she still was like anti- Vaginal, yeah. We we did Just had butt sex. And I was like, okay, I guess this is- what Good, is- You know what? You give her props. B, you're fucking dope. Instead of just being like, no, we're not doing anything. <laughs> She was like, I just used my ass. She's like, right? I'm saving my pussy. Which is also such a ridiculous idea that that's better than... I, I, it's not. Are you kidding me? It's my... I mean, I, 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 mean, I like the loophole as a, as a teenage kid. I was like, okay, sure. Dude, my first butt sex experience, um, the girl shit on me. Like it, really? like when my we were doing reverse cowgirl and my dick came out. Did you guys eat Mexican sl- food slapped. before No, it's, did? we didn't. I don't know what she ate. But it was nutty. But she, my dick comes out of her ass. She was too high. <laughs> and the, do you know how your dick like thuds on your chest? Well, as soon as it, it came out and it thudded on my chest, and just something hit me right in the side of my face. And then I looked down, and there was like shit. And uh, that was that wasn't the first sexual experience, but that was my first butt sex experience. Jesus. So I mean, and she she was like nineteen. Kitty was like nineteen years old, maybe twenty. So I mean. She should have known at that point if she was like, because remember I asked her, I was like, I've never had anal sex before. She's like, well, we can do it. So she had done it. She should know. The age of innocence. I know. (laughs) Definitely. That shit ran out. Yeah, I (laughs) feel like I guess I did lose my innocence when I stuck it in my high school girlfriend's asshole. (laughs) Fucking big ups to B. Well, she definitely did lost her innocence, but. I did too, perhaps. (laughs) Were you the first person she she had had butt sex with? I guess I never asked, but... She did offer it up, so maybe I wasn't. <laughs> she, yeah, who knows? She probably, she probably excited. She was like, "Yeah, I'm just put it in my ass, easy fix." 
and you're like, you've done this before. I know. Uh, you know, it, looking back, it's, it seems like such a, a strange thing. But at the time, I was just so delighted to oh, have yeah. sexual have experience. Anything. I was like, okay, sure. <laughs> Here? All right. <laughs> Let me put a chair in front of the door just right? in case. Just so bolting, no, bolting so, the windows so and doors nobody, shut. Is, is there a storm coming? Also, nah, nah sodomy. Right. Also, we should keep this a secret forever. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, okay. okay. All right. Papa was a rodeo. Uh, I do love this song. I love his voice. There is so much depth to it. And it's just regardless of, of how the song sounds, uh, he's making everything sound very, very heavy. Peter, play minute four, second 36. Before you kiss me, you should know Papa was a rodeo There is something about Stephen and uh, Shirley Sims singing together that was just so nice. And I, I I really did enjoy this song, um, especially just sitting here with you. It just made me realize like how good this yeah. this song and this album is. Now, this is considered to be the most popular song on this set, and Merritt has referred to writing it in the style of a classic Nancy Sinatra and Lee Hazelwood duet. Mm. It's a melancholy, countrified narrative story song that starts off sounding like it's going to be all tears in your beers. In Merritt's trademark deadpan deeper bass than Johnny Cash voice, he warns a lady about Mike, about how unreliable he is and how it could never work out. But then the last verse, which is the one we were talking about, looks back at the wonderful 55-year relationship they've shared. And when Shirley Sims comes in, which is my favorite part, in the last chorus to explain that their romantic longevity was due to their similar family dynamic, it provides a surprise happy ending. Uh, which, like I said, it's, it's, it's my favorite part. Um, I really do enjoy that. Speaking of family bonds, okay, how did your parents react when you told them that you were leaving molecular biology in all the years you studied to become a stand-up comedian? That's a, that's a great question. So this song, to me, it makes me think about my relationship with my dad. And, uh, and, I'll, and I'll get to the specific answer to the question, but my dad, we had a very strange relationship when I became into I guess adulthood so when I was in college my junior year I found out that he was stealing my tax returns and he opened up credit cards in my name and maxed them all out and so when I caught him doing this he denied it and then I of course I had proof and then he threw me out of the house and so when I hear this song I think about like obviously this father kind of it, it's it, the way they describe it to me it seems like he just was out of the picture kind of thing and that's that's maybe that's not what he intends in the song but that's what i hear and so it makes me think of that and so i had a really strained relationship with my dad so for a few years once i graduated college and actually returned to chicago from florida i acted as though he was dead and i didn't speak to him and we had kind of a reconciliation when I fart I started going into comedy I started taking classes at IO 
And in the course of my first level at Improv Olympic in Chicago, my dad killed himself. And so he never knew about really the comedy stuff that I wanted to do. Like we had spoken maybe briefly about it in the the time we met to reconcile, but uh, I think about it and I'm like, my dad never knew this part of me. And it's really, it's, it's sad. And the fact that I can talk about this now, I didn't talk about it for a long time and nobody knew that this was the case with me. But as I've gotten older, I've been able to talk about it and open up because of all our friends who have committed suicide. Sure. And, and I think that it's important to talk about it and open, especially because Brody's thing hit me pretty hard. Yeah. Uh, but so that I wonder what he would have thought, what he really would have thought about me choosing to just totally change my life course. My mom, of course, she, she was like, honestly, I just want you to be happy. So my mom is the greatest woman in the world because she never doubted for a second. She's like, you got to do it. And when I moved out to California, she was like, I know you can do it. And I want you to do it. And I just want you to be happy. Now, with that said, every time we talk, she's like, you know, you always have your degree to fall back on. And when she says it, though, my degree sounds like a sword. That I should just fall through and just like kamikaze or or, uh, whatever the term for self falling on my degree is. But uh, she she likes to keep reminding me that I always have that. And I'm like, "Uh, it's been a long time, so I can't. (laughs) But she she has quit one day and it is like, I'm back. I just I just showed like, I think this will help. I'm unrolling it. You guys can't see I'm unrolling my degree for the potential. It's like, "Uh, I believe this should cover it. Like, oh, welcome aboard. You've got a degree. You haven't practiced in 15 years, but come on in. You want to go handle that cancer specimen over there? Yes, I can solve the cancer. (laughs) What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living. And every week, I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others. Photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy. And I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com and I'll see you there. Yeah, my mom was very much like that too. My dad was too, but I, I, my dad never did anything, you know, steal from me. I stole from my dad. I, I lost my dad's, you know, love many, many times, you know, or at least that's the projected feeling I got from it at the time where I was like, well, he does, he's mad at me again. And, but, um, you know, my, my dad didn't get to see any of the success. He died before anything really popped, but he did get to see me happy with a girl that had gotten my life together. And, you know, right before he died, he told me like, you know, how proud he was of me and cause he had gotten sick and then we had a month and then he died. So mm-hmm. it was like that month, you know, that month without that month, you know, cause he, he had an aneurysm in his heart. And if that would have killed him, Oh my God, all the unanswered questions and just all that shit I'd yeah. be still wearing, but have that month with him. It really, really helps. So I, I can relate to that cause I didn't have a very good relationship with my dad. Um, but my mom is fucking, she's a G dude. She's 
bailed me out how many times car got booted you know what I mean she, my mom would go oh my god why are you <laughs> asking me again after this Joshua after this the <laughs> bank is closed the bank <laughs> is closed and then three weeks later I'm like ma I was like this I just got this ticket oh my god what do you think I've got this is all I've got all right how much do you need? <laughs> the you bank know. is closed um, all right, we, we, we didn't get to cover every song. Um, so do you have any of your favorites? You mentioned one off air. Yeah, uh, I think I need a new heart. Play is... it, Peter, play a little bit of I think I need a new heart. I think I need a new such a great song why, why is that one of your favorites just i don't know if you have any because uh i think in the lyrics he he says uh he i think he feels broken because he if i if i recall correctly that he keeps falling in love and and he doesn't know if his heart's working the right way because you know he he think he loves multiple people. Is that so? Here's what it is. Merritt endearingly embraces both his vocal limitations as well as his limitations as a partner that can't seem to move beyond good intentions. Such a good fucking song, dude. Um, I, I have a question for it if you want to do it. Yeah, I'd love to. All right, what are the best worst things about you? <laughs> uh. I'm very particular. I, things have to be a certain way. I feel like uh, to where it's annoying, I have to s- make sure. Every, I, I'm a perfectionist that, like, if if my girlfriend tries to cook, I have to come in and be like, no, 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 no. I have to, I have to do this. I have to make it right. I have to make it look like the picture that. Yeah. I've wanted to eat this food, so I uh, I have to garnish it in the correct way. And you can't do this right because I need to see it the way I want to see it, and it has to be perfect. And uh, you know, it's it's a weird quirk. It's a very weird quirk. Does it does it go into comedy? I mean, does it go into your working relationship with others in in you know entertainment? Uh, I love collaborating with people. I I do. You know, I've. I do see things a certain way and I know that when you, you know, I've worked on different productions where you have to collaborate and you have to be willing to let go of the things you believe in because, you know, if your boss thinks differently, then you think differently too. Uh, and if you want to keep working anyway. Yeah. So like there's been things I've just been unwilling to give up with and, and I bite my tongue and then I'll go into the next room and I'll scream into my sweater uh and be like all right well i guess no one knows my brilliance uh and it's fine you get over it uh whatever you want john mulaney sure dude i i like i just i've i've had to just let some brilliant sketches i believe are brilliant uh just because either the network or the bosses were just like yeah, we we can't use this, so you need to come up with something else. And I'm like, well, I don't think anything else is better than this. <laughs> uh, but 
you realize that over time, the the whole experience and the job it wears you to a point where you 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 can deal with that and you know that okay, don't be a fucking baby. You're around other adults and you can work with others and and I like being a baby sometimes <laughs> and you know it's it's being a little baby is is it's irritating but. You know, I could think of worse things. We're like, all, listen, I'm not violent. Do you like if if you pitch something and they do something else? Do you want that other thing to fail so you can be shown that you were right? Yes, <laughs> yeah, of course. I I don't want anyone to laugh at that other idea yeah. because it's terrible <laughs> in comparison to mine. Uh, yeah, when when you when you pitch an idea, like if you you know you're you're going to the network or you're you're pitching something and. And you believe in it, and you your heart and soul is in it because you know it's right. And then when someone doesn't get it, I have had to to work on not like showing it on my face, being like, "What the fuck is with you? Are you stupid? Yeah. What don't you get about this thing <laughs> that is I've clearly explained to you?" And you're asking questions that don't make any sense. Yeah, it's like who cares what his mom did? I'm telling you, this is the 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 core character whatever and i've i've tried to not wear my emotions on my sleeve that's another thing i if that's one of my worst qualities like you know what i'm thinking generally at any second because you can see it on my face that yeah. oh i don't like this he clearly doesn't like this it at all. whenever <laughs> it's weird because whenever i get pictures taken of me doing stand-up it always looks like i'm angry but i'm just probably in the middle of a character, but I'm like, oh man, maybe I'm just angry all the time on my face when I'm on stage. Uh, even though it's going well, maybe I just, I hate everything. All right. Do you want to do some facts? I love to. I think I need some new facts. Oh yeah. I think I need some new facts. This record was originally conceived as a Broadway musical of mm-hmm. sorts, like we said earlier, after Merritt sat in a gay piano bar in Manhattan listening to pianists play songs by the prolific composer, like I said, Stephen Sodheim. He wanted to write 100 songs in every style of music he could think of before settling on 69. What is the biggest undertaking you've attempted or want to? Uh, well... My first comedy album was that was a pretty big, long build up to get to that point to where I felt confident I had an hour's worth of material and setting it up. I did it at Acme in Minneapolis uh, with Mary Mack, who is one of my favorite people. Uh, And just the just have that fruits of my labor. Just I've got a physical copy of an album that no one can ever take that away from me just what it took to get from like it was like it seemed like 10 years of my comedy career to create to create this thing like some people they hey i've been doing comedy two weeks i should put an album oh out. yeah i know a few of those people <laughs> it's like i want to they do didn't it. sell well just to let you know no like the, the end story for that person is and right <laughs> i don't know if they're doing comedy anywhere <laughs> people put like quotes like what they think of the re- of like their comedy record and it's like bill burr said <laughs> so I waited a long time because I wanted every joke on that album to be fire, solid. yeah. And you know, I've never been more proud of of that thing. Uh, Scaredy Cat, buy it on iTunes or whatever. Yeah, get Apple it, platform. everybody. Uh, but the thing I'm working Listen on to now, it on Spotify, uh, was based. So it's actually this. It's 
this story moves into the next, but that album, the cover art, uh, I met this guy who was, he was working at Disney and he did a lot of show posters for this show I used to do called, uh, uh, part two, the sequel show. And, uh, I loved his, his style. And so he did the album art on my, my comedy album. And I was big into where the wild things are. And the album was about everything I was afraid of. And, and I kind of just thematically had pieced it together that way. So I was like, man, that would make a really great animated kids show. And so for the last few years, we've been working on uh, creating this this concept and this pi- the pilot and the show Bible. And we have all this stuff together. And we've just recently been pitching it. And I've put my heart and soul into this fucking show, which I think is a no-brainer. It's so good to me. And... We uh we're gonna pitch it at Netflix soon, uh. But we've pitched, fingers crossed, man. We've pitched it to to a bunch of places, and I and I think it's one of the best things I've ever done. And if it doesn't happen, you're just gonna go these fucking idiots. Of course, <laughs> no, no, I've got perfection here. Well, that's interesting because <laughs> I I've thought about like I think I will be okay because I've literally tried to do everything I can to make this happen. I've told my, my partner, I was like, no one can ever say that we didn't try. And I know that that's a shitty thing to tell no, people. No, you have to. It's, it's, you but have I to put know, your heart into it. Yeah. I know that I fucking tried everything I could to make this. And even if, if these studios, they don't want to make it, I will find a fucking way to make this thing. Because you're going to do it. I know that they are wrong. No, you're going to do it. Good for you, man. Uh, speaking of that, one of the musical contributors on this and other Magnetic Fields albums is Daniel Handler on accordion and keyboards. Although he also wrote the liner notes and interviewed Merritt for the re-release of the 69 Love Songs box set, Handler is better known for writing the 13-book series, A Series of Unfortunate Events, under the Lemony pseudonym Snicket. Lemony Snicket. Both epic collections were started around the same time. Wow. Isn't that cool? Yeah. What is your hidden talent? Uh, well, I have to pull my pants down. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Keep on rolling, baby. My you know what time it is. Secret talent. Um, I think people don't realize I actually, I know I have a silly, a kind of a silly voice, but I actually am a pretty good singer. Uh, you have hit all the notes and have been on. Yeah, you've been on. Key I was the whole told time. I had perfect pitch by my my th- musical theater ex wife, which she would never say that for most people. But she was very she was very uh, perceptive to things that were in tune, and she was like, "Wow, you have perfect pitch." I was like, "Oh, well, how about?" That, <laughs> like, even though you hate the magnetic field. <laughs> All right, final fact: Merritt suffers from hyperacusis, oh, yeah. which is an oversensitivity to certain frequency ranges of sound. So the band plays no at a low volume live, which adds to the intimacy of the performances. Which I am. Uh, have you seen them live? Uh, I have in Chicago. I I know that he won't play percussion a lot of times they will just not play any percussion because it hurts i think it's his it's his, it's his ears left. yeah his it's one ear it's one ear specifically i think it might be his right my sister used to have that i think what are you most sensitive to uh honestly 
when people start talking about their dads, uh, at this point in my life, because I haven't had a dad since I was, I guess, 25 is when he did it. It's been 17 years now, and it still hits me. I like I see my girlfriend with her dad or I see other people talk about their dad and it just it's like this hole that I can never fill because I I just don't have that I don't have a dad I can't like I lost him in probably one of the most important points of my life where you're a young man starting out and trying to to figure life out and so I don't I didn't have that and I, and I'll never be able to get that back. And so that is just this raw thing that I, uh, it, it like every mother, cause he died on mother's day. So every mother's day, uh, I'm a mess, but like whenever I hear anyone talk about their dad, I just start to well up. No, I get it. I get it. Um, no, I don't, I don't make, my thoughts. <laughs> make a joke. I don't, I don't <laughs> Cut this part out. <laughs> We're all um, crying. No, it's 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 beautiful, man. I get it, but you know, I don't have anything to say because I completely I can empathize with you, man. Oh, that's what you know. This album is is great and worthy of being on a list like this because of look the, at the discussion that it spawned. If if an album can make you feel things and relate to it in ways you you know you don't think about, but when you just let yourself go and be absorbed into an album like this, you're like, Oh wow, this is powerful stuff. And you know, maybe it's not as well known as a lot of the other albums on this list, but I think that it is a work of art. It, it is truly a, a genius gift that more people I hope can listen to. No, and I, I think people did. I was going to ask you your final thoughts and you just fucking like oh. nailed it on the head with this. Cause I couldn't agree with you more. So it's a great record. And yeah. dude, you were fucking phenomenal. Oh, I don't want thank this to you. end. So thank, thank you. you for coming on brother. It was great. Thanks for having me. Tony Sam, ladies and gentlemen. What a great episode. If you want to find Tony Sam on Instagram and Twitter, find him at Tony Sam. I'm going to spell it because it's spelled weird. T-O-E-K-N-E-E-S-A-M. So like toe, like on your foot, knee, like on your leg, and Sam, like you're Sam. Listen to his podcast, Legally Insane, anywhere you get your podcasts, and get his album, Scaredy Cat, on all platforms. Put it on right now. I'm posting his mixtape track listing link. It's going to be on the website, along with everybody's mixtape. All my guests have made a mixtape for you, and you can find everything 500 at the500podcast.com. Email the podcast at 500podcasts at gmail.com, and follow moi on all social media at Josh Adam Myers. Please subscribe to The 500 on your favorite platform. And if you're listening on Apple iTunes, leave us a review. Be nice to me. Come on, man. Hook a brother up. Follow my writer, DJ Morty Coyle, and check out his Instagram page where him and his daughter sing a lot of songs at B and Daddy Cartoons. Now, we just listened to Magnetic Fields from 1999. Now, here is an artist that is directly influenced by this album, and I really like this song. This song is Dog Inside a Car by the band Fell Runner. 
Check them out on our website. We'll be posting there. And if you're in a band and were directly influenced by one of these albums or artists and you want your music featured on the 500, send your song to 500podcast at gmail.com and make sure you put the album and artist that influenced you in the subject line. Trust me, guys. I'm trying to help you out. So send me your music. I will play it to the world. Next week is Def Leppard Week with their 1987 Hit Factory Hysteria. Most of you have already heard this, but if you haven't, even if you have, do your fucking homework. Stay fleecy, y'all. I tried to speak my mind, but the words don't take flight. Try to run free in the streets, but the leash is too tight. Try to make sense of what people say, but everyone seems so much brighter than me. I am just a dog inside a car With my head sticking out of the window I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now at Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the one-hit thunder or were nothing more than a one-hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. Next Chapter Podcasts.